Welcome to Grace Covenant Church, D.C. You're listening to our weekly sermon podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this message. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Holy Spirit, thank you so much. We have come into your house to worship you. I thank you. Whether close by or far away, you became a sign to us that drew us into relationship with you and one another. I thank you that this day we are your worshipers. Amen. God with us. This moment takes place nearly two years after the birth of Christ. Uh, Previously, we read about how Joseph and Mary obeyed God and went along with the plan. At the time of his birth in Bethlehem, he lived there two years before these wise men arrived from the east. It's significant to note that they were from the east. They were not Jews living in Jerusalem. They were Gentiles, which means any people of a non-Jewish nation. They were drawn to this place to worship him. That is awesome because it speaks of God's heart for all people, for all nations. So when we worship this morning, I'm grateful that our diversity is greater than what we currently experience. Because God's heart is for all peoples, all nations, everywhere in the earth. And I love that in this room, we reflect some of the nations that God loves and who he came for. And that when we worship him, it's one sound. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation. Now, we don't have everyone just yet, but God let us. God let us. Amen? Come on, let's just shout a praise to God for that. 
These wise men, they were scientists, skilled men. Uh, when they saw the star, it indicated the birth of a king. And they journeyed. We know not exactly how far, but we do know that the period between Christ being born and the star appearing and their arrival, two years had passed. They came from a great distance. That encourages me. King Herod, who was king of the Jews, was completely unaware that Jesus, the king, not just of the Jews, but the king of all kings, had been born right there in Bethlehem. When news reached his ear, when the wise men gathered, and we don't know how many they are, the wonderful Christmas scenes that we set up every year show three. The reason why we show three is because of the gifts that were presented, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So we, we then say, well, probably three wise men, one being his gift. It could have been 50. We don't know how deep they were when they rolled up in Bethlehem. What we do know is that when they arrived, they said, where is he who is born king of the Jews? Now, to come from so far away and to arrive at the place where Jews live and ask the question, and those living there did not know? How many of us grew up in the church but still didn't know him? Grew up close by, been around it your whole life, but still not intimate with him. And here's this moment. Now, that for sure, there were those in Jerusalem and Bethlehem who did know that Christ was born. You read about Simeon. You read about Anna. You read about all these who were speaking about it, but it wasn't publicly known. And so to have someone come from the east, far away, Gentiles, that includes me because I wasn't born Jew. I don't know if that includes you. Perhaps you are Jewish. I don't know. But I know that it speaks of God's heart. This did not happen accidentally. God intentionally brought them. And when they came, it took them research, study, uh, preparation, and they had to journey for a long time. But I want you to know, no matter their research, no matter their study, no matter all their preparation, without the sign of the star, they would have no inclination to go. We can't find God on our own no matter how wise we are. What makes you wise is that you seek him and search him out. Whether you're a scientist or not. Don't have time to list all the occupations that might be represented in this room. Many. Everybody yell out who you are and what you do. See, it's too many. I couldn't have done all that. Let you do it. Just let you do it. But I love that when they arrive, they say, where is he? And they, when they arrive, and, and uh, at that time, King Herod calls together all the leadership and says, what are they talking about? And they go to the Old Testament, and they recite what the prophet had spoken by the Lord in Micah saying that a ruler would come out of Bethlehem. So then he called the wise men secretly and said, listen, why don't y'all go search for him? He's in Bethlehem. And uh, when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can worship him. Ill-intended, he had no intentions of worshiping. He was greatly disturbed because he felt like his throne was being challenged, jeopardized. He wanted to do harm to any potential king. That is the enemy's intent has always been to somehow thwart the purpose of God. He's completely unsuccessful and I'm grateful for that. And when they go to Bethlehem, it says the star they'd seen before reappeared and it stood over the house. And it says they came into the house. I love that. Aren't you glad that we get to still come into his house? And he was a toddler walking around, but he was still king. Because wherever he is, that's where the throne is. And they presented their gifts. They bowed down in humility and they worshiped him. And 
it is a picture of who we are called to be in relationship to him. Now, we'll come back to the Magi in just a moment. But this moment is so significant because it ha- it, it, it's, its purpose is rooted in eternity. And we spoke previously about the genealogy of Christ and how Jesus was the son of Abraham, the son of David, and, you know, all the way down. So I want to go back even before uh, Abraham. Go back to the eternal purpose of God. And this is found in Psalm 2, 7, and 8. Psalm 2, 7, and 8. And we'll begin to work our way back to the wise men. In Psalm 2, verses 7 and 8. This is both relational and missional. This is God as Father speaking to God as Son, Jesus. This is dialogue, and it's happening in eternity. Um, And I love this. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. Now think about this being echoed through time across eternity. These are words spoken by God the Father to God the Son. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. When there's a decree made by God, it's eternal. It's timeless. He says, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance. The ends of the earth, your possession. That is eternal truth, which continues to reverberate throughout time. It's both relational and missional. Relational in that God's heart for relationship. He's saying, as father, I'm saying today, you are my son. That's the relational aspect of the nature of God. But then the missional side is, ask of me and I will what? Make the nations your inheritance. The purpose of Jesus in coming is to inherit, not just you individually, but to inherit the nations of the earth. That's why I rejoice this morning as we begin to worship him, which is the whole purpose of our being, to worship God. And the words that came from our heart across our lips was, all the earth will shout. It just didn't say you would shout or I would shout. It just didn't say America, but it said all the earth will shout. There's no nation that ought not shout the glories of God and come into his house and worship him. I've had the privilege of traveling beyond our own nation, which I love. I love America. I love that I was born here. And I also love that I've got to go to other nations. Anybody here travel beyond our borders? It's a wonderful thing to go to another nation and to experience the culture, the food, the people, and learn. And I just, you, you know, I, I, I think about uh, nations that I've gone to. Um, I remember probably my first time going to the Philippines, being in Manila, and it was awesome. I, I was in a coliseum worshiping with my brothers and sisters, and I told my wife, I said, I love the Filipinos. They're some of the most hospitable people on God's planet, and they dance when they worship, so I feel at home. It's great, and uh, I've had an opportunity to preach over there, and we have our, our family is worldwide. We're in 80-some nations around the world, and so I was with our our family over there, we have churches all over there, and they, they're, they're great. They're, uh, you need to go to Manila. It's just wonderful. And my wife was with me on one trip, and, uh, 
Oh, gosh. Uh, uh, long story short, we were out with some other couples. We had a great time, and we ate at a place called Banana Leaf, and then we went to a little place where they kind of do a little foot massage in, the, in water. And I took my shoes off, and my wife was elbowing me and while I was talking. I was trying to say, would you lift your foot up? That poor Filipina is struggling to lift your big foot and put it in the water. And so I said, okay, okay, babe. So I, I, I helped her with my, my foot, and she got in the water. Somehow that word got back to one of our leaders, and he, he publicized it. And so, basically, uh, whenever I go to Manila, my name when I'm there is Malaking Pa'a. And all the Filipinos laugh, right? If you knew what I meant, raise your hand if, if, if you can interpret that. Come on, we got, yeah, there we are, the people. It means Bigfoot. So when I'm in Manila worshiping with my brothers and sisters, I'm Malaking Pa'a. Then several years ago, I went to Nigeria. I was, uh, I've been to other regions of Africa, Joburg, Cape Town, but my first time in Nigeria, Chris Boston went with me and... We, we traveled over there. God did awesome things, miraculous things. It was, it was wonderful. And there was a conference, about 5,000 people. I was one of the speakers. And when I got to Nigeria, I'd never been there. It's, it, it was just phenomenal getting off the plane and walking around going, oh, my God, where are we? And when I got up, they asked me to speak. And my heart was so full. I said, I'm back home for the first time. And, and, and there was a ceremony, and on a Sunday morning, they gave those of us who were visiting new names. And so Chris got the name Chibundi. And, uh, and anybody know what that means? A few people. What nation are you from? Where are you? Oh, okay. did, I, did I not say it right? Chibundu. Someone said it. Chibundu. I can hear that accent. Where are you from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you say it correctly for me? Chibundum. That's his name. It's Chris Boston when he's in D.C. Over there is Chibundi. And it means? God is light. Yes, God is light. That's his name. And my name, you're going to have to help me, is Ikechuku. I said it? Thank you. Ikechuku. Anybody know what that means? God's strength or God's power. So wherever I am, I'm still a child of God no matter what my name, and I worship it with no matter who the people I'm with. Listen, when I'm in America, if I'm in Chantilly, Virginia, my name is Don. When I'm in D.C., it's Donnell. It just, it just doesn't matter. We're here, all his kids. It's all the nations worshiping God together. That's our whole intent. Acts 17 says, from one man, he made all the nations of the earth that for one reason, that we might seek him, grope for him, perhaps find him, and he's not far from us. I love it when the nations worship God together because then it reflects to those outside of the kingdom what it looks like to walk in unity and reconciliation and wholeness and not be defined by our environment because we're defined by the throne. So your mind has to be renewed so that you can love in an unlovable culture. Merry Christmas. He had to come to do all this, right? Now, that's what he said before. Now, here's what he says to Abraham. Remember we said the genealogy? See, Christ legitimately came through a line and was born king of the Jews because he was the son of David legally, but he's also the son of God eternally so he is rightfully son of man and son of God that's why we use both names now in coming through a genealogical line this is what floors me because I've seen all kinds of movies but this is just reality Jesus himself appears to Abraham and essentially says I'm going to be born through your line because of your faith in me and because you're unwilling to 
uh, withhold anything from me, including your, your own son, Isaac, who you had to wait 25 years from. Yeah. Because of your faith, I'm going to bless you. And watch what he says to him. Are you ready for this? This is what he says to him. Genesis 22, verses 17 and 18. I will surely bless you. Who's he speaking to right now? Abraham, who's the father of? Many nations, but down the genealogical line, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all those men are important, men and women. Uh, we get to David, who was the king, and then from David, we go down to Jesus the Messiah. So he inserted himself genealogically in the line. He says, I will surely bless you, Abraham, Sarah, and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations, how many? All. all nations on earth will be blessed because you've obeyed me. Because one man, Abraham, obeyed. God said, there's a covenant through you and through your line. I'm not just going to bless your people. I'm not just going to bless your line, the Jews, Israel. Through you, I will bless all the nations of the earth, which is why we sing, all the earth will shout your name, because through one man's line, every nation is given a sign that will bring them to Christ. And that's how the wise men ended up there, because it's a fulfillment of a promise made to Abraham. We come into the house to worship. You got to be okay with that, because you're going to be in the house looking around like, what, what, where are you from? And how did y'all get here? I'm from every nation. What about you? I'm from every nation too. We're all from all the nations who get to shout to God. Amen. Mm. So encouraging. You know, when God chose Abraham, you could go back and read in Genesis 18, I think around verse 18 or something. He says, I've chosen Abraham. I've chosen Abraham. I've chosen him that he might train his children after him to keep the way of the Lord. That's what I want to come down your line. Don't you want your line to be blessed? Yes. Who doesn't want their line to follow God? Yes. Breaks your heart when your kids drift. But I want you to know God encouraged me. He said, no, no, look, you were far away from me than any of your kids will ever or have been. And if I can get you, I can get your kids. So that's for anybody who's worried about their kids. I know how lost I was. I know I was further away than the wise men. I don't know about you. It took me more than two years to get to him. Is there anybody here who you didn't grow up right around? You didn't grow up right around the throne. You were in the distance. You were far away. Maybe you were two miles away. Maybe you were 20 miles away. Some of us, you couldn't see us with the Hubble telescope. We were that far from God. But he put a sign up high enough, far enough, so that you would see it and somehow begin to look at the sign. And aren't you glad you didn't just stare at the sign and go, oh, that's cute. That's nice. You, I don't care how, what kind of sign. He can use a burning bush if he wants. He can use a flash from heaven if he wants. He can use your grandma if you want. He can use whatever. So he can use a free meal if he wants. He can use you driving your best friend's car to a tent meeting, Billy Graham. Billy Graham, one of the greatest evangelists, did not want to serve God, follow God, but he wanted to drive his best friend's truck. He said, tell you what, if you go with me to the tent meeting, you could drive the truck. Came to the meeting, drove the truck, got filled with God, and then became what God called him to be. I don't care what sign God used to get you here. Some of you came to this church following the girl, but you got God, and maybe you got to keep the girl too. I don't know. 
I don't know what sign he used to get you, but he, you, you didn't get there on your own. You weren't smart enough. You weren't, you weren't bright enough. Doesn't matter what school you went to. Unless he gives you a sign, you can't find your way back home. I was lost. And he found me. He used a sign, and I ignored the first few signs. But after a while, it hurts to stumble in the dark. Why do I keep going through this thing over and over and over and over and over? And like, that sign is still there. Maybe I ought to just, maybe that's the way. And then you get to the sign, and it's not the sign. The sign was only pointing to him. And you walk in, and you can't help but fall down and worship. And if you do nothing else but worship, you're serving the purpose for which you were born. I need to say that again. If you do nothing else with your life except worship, you are serving the purpose for which you were born. It matters not just your occupation, your career, your title, your promotion, your demotion. It only matters that in all phases of life, you are a worshiper. The Bible describes Abraham coming down to the line of David. It says that David was a worshiper. When he was taking care of sheep, he was worshiping. When he was killing a giant, he was worshiping. When he was commander of the army, he was a worshiper. When he was a king, he didn't get, as my friend Demo would say, high in sedity. He still worshiped God all the way. Bringing the, he never stopped being a worshiper no matter what his title was. Are you going to, mm, mm, mm. what's the motivation for your worship? Him or what he gives you. Because when the wise men arrived, they didn't go, okay, we're here. What you going to give us? They say, it's an honor to be in your presence. Yes. We actually have come with gifts. And they opened them. Open your gift and present it to them. They had gifts before they arrived. I want you to know that you were born with gifts even before you knew God. And those gifts will either serve you or serve him. But you choose whether you open it up and serve him in humility or whether you serve yourself with it. And it produces nothing kingdom. When you get to Abraham, God says, I chose him that he might train his children to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Right and just. So that I can bring about what I promised Abraham. Why is right and just important? Because in the Psalms and elsewhere in the Bible, it says that the throne of God, the foundation of his throne is righteousness and justice. Government done God's way, authority done God's way, is always the foundation of it, is righteousness and justice. And so he said, because I'm right in righteousness and because I'm right and just, your line needs to be. Now his line deviated, but when Jesus got it back, it was properly aligned. Amen? Are you encouraged by this? All right. How many nations did God say? I love our nation. I'm going to read something. It's somewhat lengthy. Bear with me. Normally, I put it on the screen, let you read it so you don't fall asleep. <laughs> By the President of the United States of America, a proclamation. Whereas the Senate of the United States, devoutly recognizing the supreme authority and just government of Almighty God. Can I just read that again? I just, I love that a nation would write these words. Whereas the Senate of the United States, devoutly recognizing the supreme authority and just government of Almighty God, in all the affairs of men and of nations, has by a resolution requested the President to designate and set apart a day for national prayer and humiliation. And whereas it is the duty of nations as well as of men to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God, 
to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon, and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history, that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. And insomuch as we know that by his divine law, nations like individuals are subjected to punishments and chastisements in this world, may we not justly fear that the awful calamity of civil war, which now desolates the land, may be but a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national re reformation as a whole people. We've been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We've been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We've grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown, but we've forgotten God. We've forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves. Amen. Before the offended power to confess our national sins and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. Now, therefore, in compliance with the request and fully concurring in the views of the Senate, I do hereby, this my proclamation, designate and set apart Thursday the 30th day of April, 1863, as a day of national humiliation, fasting, and prayer. And I do hereby request all the people to abstain on that day from their ordinary secular pursuits and to unite at their several places of public worship, y'all here, and their respective homes in keeping the day holy to the Lord and devoted to the humble discharge of the religious duties proper to that solemn occasion. All this being done in sincerity and truth, let us then rest humbly in the hope authorized by the divine teachings that the united cry of the nation will be heard on high. The united cry of the nation will be heard on high and answered with blessings no less than the pardon of our national sins and the restoration of our now divided and suffering country to its former happy condition of unity and peace. In witness whereof I have hereunto set my hand and caused the seal of the United States to be affixed, done at the city of Washington this 30th day of March in the year of our Lord, 1863, and of the independence of the United States, the 87th, by the President, Abraham Lincoln. Father, I thank you for our nation. I thank you for America. I thank you that you spoke in eternity. Today, you are my son. Ask of me, and the nations will be your inheritance. You spoke to Abraham, and you told him, you said, through you, all nations of the earth will be blessed. And then, Jesus, you came and you were born. And two years after, wise men from other nations came to worship you. I thank you that that eternal word is still echoing and reverberating down the corridors of time. And so this morning, I pray for us individually. I pray for the church, which is yours. I pray for our nation. I pray for the nations of the world. That we would be, as it were, wise men and wise women who from whatever distance would see the sign that has appeared and our attention would be turned and we would journey by grace to come into your house.
Not the one in Bethlehem where you were a toddler with Mary, but the eternal house of God that is from everlasting to everlasting. Where it says in Revelation 7, I saw a multitude, John said, that no one could number people from every nation, from every tribe, from every tongue. That's the house that they were brought into. And falling down, worshiping you, presenting their gifts to you. God, may we worship you in this way, with a view of heaven lived out on earth. We don't yet see this reality. It is an eternal reality in heaven, and there's tension with the seen, present reality on earth. But your word is so strong. It's so alive. It's so active that we live not by what we see. We don't live by what we see. We don't live by what our eyes perceive. We live by the word of God, and that faith in you allows us to believe for the unseen to become seen and visible in us. To that end, I pray you would make us a sign to someone in 2019. That every man in this place would come in and worship and present gifts and go out and become a sign to you. May every man, may every woman, may every boy, every girl in this place in 2019, I'll be a sign that points people. I'll be a burning bush. I'll be in relationship with you. We are your inheritance. And Lord, on this final Sunday, there are men and women here who you've drawn them into the, this hotel, but you didn't bring them into this hotel just to be in this hotel. You brought them in here to be in your house. And they may not know you, or maybe they've seen a sign but have ignored it in the past, but today, that sign, they're no longer going to ignore and they're coming into the house to bow down in humility and to present themselves to you. If anyone here this morning says, I want entrance into his house and I want to worship him because the greatest gift is not the one we bring. The greatest gift is him given to us. A Lord, a Savior who saves us from our sins. The gift of salvation that he gives is available today. If you want to begin to be a recipient of God's grace and that mercy and to have your sins forgiven, would you lift your hand just so I know there's someone here to pray with or for? I see your hand. Great. Anyone else? Great. I see those hands. We're going to pray for you in just a moment. I want the worship team to come up. If you're here this morning, you said, I, I am so grateful that I'm welcomed into his house to worship him. But as we begin to go out of this hotel, I want to never cease worshiping him. And I want to be a sign for him that is clearly visible to all he intends that more might be drawn to him by his light in me if you want to see that increase in your life would you raise your hand many of us very good all right if you would put your hands down we're gonna pray twice and then the worship team is gonna lead us the way we worship we're going to worship again all the earth will shout your 
praise. It's his breath that's in our lungs. And so you who raised your hand first, let the breath that God gave you in your lungs pray. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to be quiet for 30 seconds. And I want whatever thoughts going on in your heart and mind, you just pray that to God of surrender of your life to him as Lord. And then I'm going to lead you in a prayer after you do that. But I'll be quiet for about 30 seconds. Everyone just be comfortable in the silence. pray this aloud with your own breath. Jesus, thank you. You planned a way, a sign to get my attention. Just like the wise men. And today, you've given me wisdom to seek you and grace to find you. And today, I come not only to the place of worship, but the person of worship. And I worship you, Jesus. And I confess with my own mouth, with the breath in my lungs, today, you are my Lord and my Savior. And I am yours, not my own. Thank you for saving me. Amen. Now we're going to pray a second prayer, but we're going to pause right here because the Bible says when one. I've read it. It says when one. It says when one. It says when one. When one turns to God, heaven celebrates. And so we welcome you into God's family. Lord, I thank you for those who you've drawn to yourself today and their confession of faith in you as Lord and you bringing them into your house, and in humility they worship you. And now all together, even those who just prayed that prayer, this now prayer is for you too. Let's pray this together. Lord Jesus, thank you for making me yours, for bringing me near you. I was far away, but you brought me close and allow me to shout, to sing, to give praise to you with my entire being. I want to worship you in my thoughts, in my attitudes. Yes, let my attitudes be an expression of worship before the words even come out my mouth. So I no longer say, I didn't mean to say it. I want to say it. Let worship come out of me. The way I do my work the way I do relationships, the way I do life. Let all of it, not just Sunday, be an act, an attitude of worship. So in some way, I, me, we become a sign that others may come and worship you. To that end, that the entire earth may shout your praise. Now, why don't you stand on your feet and shout praise to him now. Thanks for listening. 
to learn more about our church or to watch video sermons, visit gracecovdc.org.